The scripture for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. This is the word of God to us. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of God to us. Thanks, Corey. Well, good morning, good morning. Yeah, Happy New Year to all. My name, uh, my name is John Reiner. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and if I've not met you, I just want to add my welcome to Corey's, uh, and welcome to winter, right? I'm from up north, and uh, this is like the way winter is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to feel a little bit of chill in your bones. That's the way this, supposed, this time of the year is supposed to feel. So uh, it's officially winter. It's happened, and um, it's also has been mentioned uh, now this season of Christmas tide. Um, you you may wonder like is Frontline like the kind of church that's like m- my neighbor who doesn't take his Christmas decorations down until like mid-April, right? Is that the kind of church that Frontline is? And the answer is maybe. Maybe you're that neighbor who doesn't take your Christmas decorations down. But no, you can come back next week. We'll have the Christmas decorations down by the grace of God. But Christmas tide is this, is this beautiful um, season in the church calendar. Actually, it was started in the 6th century. It's the 12 days after Christmas where they had a big party. And yes, the 12 days of Christmas are 12 days after Christmas where um, between Christmas and Epiphany, they had a feast to celebrate Jesus has come. The Savior is here. We ought to party. We ought to celebrate. And um, today is the celebration of Epiphany. Epiphany is just the, the, the Sunday that we celebrate the story that we just read, that Jesus was presented in the temple as a light to the nations. Okay? So today, my hope, my prayer is that today would feel a little bit like a party. It would feel like worship. It would feel like joy because Jesus has come. And because Jesus has come, Everything changes. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's just pray and let's bring our own hearts to the Lord as we open His Word. So, Father, um, 
Lord, it, it, it is a new year, and um, I don't know how my friends here are coming into this moment, to this morning, and what the past year has been like, or even the past holiday season. There may be some who are coming in grieving and limping and hurting, and God, I'm just asking that you would be their comforter and their help. God, even some who are coming in from, with, with regret from the last year. God, I'm just asking that in this moment, um, you would breathe life and your presence and your word into our hearts. Now just take a moment and kind of consecrate this year to the Lord. Just in your own heart, your own soul, just say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, your will be done. Jesus, your kingdom come. And Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would empower, you would anoint the word that is preached today. You keep me from anything er in error or damaging, and, and you would breathe life on your word, and you'd open our hearts to receive what you want to say to us today. We thank you for your presence here in this place and for moments to worship you together. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, uh, hey, I'm not much of a, a bucket list guy, but um, for several years through my 20s and 30s, I had one thing on my bucket list, and that, would, that was to, uh, to see the Grand Canyon. I really just wanted to see the Grand Canyon. I couldn't figure out how to make it happen, but um, about 10 years ago, my family and I, we were vacationing in California, Southern California, and we needed to make our way back to Oklahoma. I thought, ah, perfect opportunity to see the Grand Canyon. Bucket list, boom. So uh, I, had a, I had a plan, y'all, and that plan was sacred to me. But uh, our boys at the time were toddlers, and um, plans and road trips and uh, with toddlers don't really always go together, especially if you're caravanning with extended family. Then it's like, you shouldn't even have made the plan. That was dumb from the get-go. So within a couple hours, the plan's just getting messed up. Right, we got lost, we, we hit traffic. Um, everybody's gotta pee like a hundred times. Why would you have to pee? We're gonna see the Grand Canyon. Come on, you guys. So literally at dusk, we're racing from Phoenix to Flagstaff and the sun is setting on my left. And the boys are like whining and upset in the back and my wife, God bless her, is rolling her eyes at me right, as the tension is rising in the car, because we got to get to see the Grand Canyon. So literally we get there, there's a little bit of sunlight left, and, um, and I'm kind of a jerk, this is a moment, right, I got my plan, I literally take off out of the car, and I'm racing up this incline to go see the Grand Canyon, leaving my family like in the dust, right, you got them. So um, I, I, I'm looking around left, right, like, where is it? Looking for the signs. Who can't find the Grand Canyon? Right? It's big. That's what I've heard anyway. So finally, I kind of come up this incline, and I look to my right, and it's like, boom, whoa. My eyes, like, cannot take in this unbelievable grand sight of, of the Grand Canyon. It's shocking beauty in that moment. 
and all my stupidity and all my selfishness just like evaporates under the jaw-dropping beauty of God, right? You ever have a moment where you're just, you're shocked by beauty, where, where you feel your own smallness, you know, and you, and you feel and actually experience God's bigness? So our guy today, the man that we're going to look at today has, has that moment of shocking beauty. Simeon has one thing on his bucket list, one thing. And he knows once he's gotten it, once he's seen it, he's going to die. And that is to see the beauty of God, the Messiah, before he dies. And on an ordinary day, it happens. Like Christmas happens to him. Shocking beauty. And in that moment, he says, he says two things about Jesus, two things that have real-life practical implications for how we follow Jesus in the here and now. It's in a song, and it's in a prophecy. So if you've not already done so, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to track through this. The first thing is this. God has provided a Savior for all nations. God has provided a Savior for all nations. Let me give you a little bit of background of what's happening here with Mary and Joseph. They were faithful Jews. Luke, Luke makes that really clear. They had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. This is 40 days um, for his presentation and their purification. They would have gone on this road trip with a newborn, um, traveled about 10 miles from rural Bethlehem to to the metropolis of Jerusalem. These are some tired people, okay? Exhausted. They go into the temple. It's noisy. It's busy. And all of a sudden, this, this old man, stranger, comes up to them as they're holding their newborn. How many moms know, like, total strangers and newborn babies really don't mix real well, right? This is an emotionally charged moment. But let's take a look at verse 25 in Simeon and see what the Bible has to say about him that may have made Mary feel a little bit safer. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, so he's godly, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. A couple of things here. First, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation just means comfort, the awaited one. Now, there's waiting is letting time pass, just normal waiting, and then there's waiting that defines you. I I would hope all of you uh, in Oklahoma City would, would be waiting and hoping that our Oklahoma City Thunder would one day win the NBA championship. Yes? Can I get an amen? Yes. But, if that's like defining your life and sort of the burning center of who you are, then we need to talk afterwards, right? Waiting that defines you is more like if you've walked through a season of infertility and you're waiting for a baby to be born or your spouse has been deployed and you're waiting for them to return. That's waiting that shapes your days. And for Simeon, waiting for God to show up, it defined him. It defined him. It should define us. Waiting for Jesus to return should define us. 
2 Timothy 4 says he's coming back for all those who long for his appearing. It ought to define us. Let me show you a picture of Simeon. This is about 300 years old. I think it's really beautiful. And even in this picture, you can kind of get a feel and imagine the Holy Spirit is on him. That's what the Bible says. It also says the Holy Spirit had revealed something to him. And he came in the Spirit came in the Spirit at the exact moment that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were there. Let me give you just a quick sidebar. As one of your pastors for 2022, let's make this a Spirit, Simeon-like, you know, Spirit on us, Spirit revealing things to us, right? This walking in the Spirit. May we be a Spirit-pursuing, Spirit-saturated, Spirit-filled, Spirit-soaked, people because the spirit is one who leads us to the father and to the son let's make Simeon one of our heroes all right all right sidebar done the Holy Spirit's on him so this is happening like the picture he's holding him in his arms you know probably years of tears streaming down his face joy relief he's here and out of his mouth comes a song. And uh, it's a song that's actually been sung in the church since the 4th century. In Latin, it's called Nunc Dimittis. And um, it means simply this, now you're dismissing. And it's for, from Luke 2, 29. Simeon says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So I want to spend a bit of time around this phrase, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. could be really easy to skip over that. Well, what's that? It's a Passover kind of phrase, but it's actually really amazing and it has to do with you and me. There's this thread of Jesus being a light to the nations woven through the Old and New Testament such that Jesus isn't just the Savior of individual sinners. Jesus is the one who's come to draw all nations to himself. This isn't local. This isn't tribal. This is global. This is cosmic. And without what happens here and forward, listen, you and I, as part of one of those nations, would not have a chance to be saved. So what's happening here, this phrase, this threat, thread, is crucial. Let me explain. So go back to Genesis. When God called Abraham to be his follower, he's a pagan idol worshiper. He calls him to follow him. He says, Um, I'll make you a father of many nations. And and then he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Will be blessed. Now when you hear that, if you're not of Jewish nationality, which is probably most of the people in this room, you're not Jewish, then you got to think, that's me. I was in God's heart from the beginning. Track it. Over centuries of time, from Abraham and onward, the nation of Israel grew, survived miraculously through plagues and genocides and all kinds of craziness by the grace of God. 
But, but rather than being the light to the nations that God had called them to be, they hoarded God and God's glory for themselves. Right? They didn't send missionaries to pro- proclaim the glory of Yahweh to the nations. There's Jonah, but that's kind of a bad example that sort of proves the point. Right? They didn't care for and bless the nations proactively. They hunkered down. They played it safe. But all along, God's heart for the nations was always ingrained, always embedded. And so you hear these whispers of a servant, capital S, servant, who's, who's going to come who would satisfy God's heart for the nations, who would fulfill God's promise to Abraham. It's mainly found in the Psalms and Isaiah. Listen to these messianic whispers here. Psalm chapter 2, it's a messianic psalm. God's talking to his servant. He says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 45, also a really beautiful messianic psalm, says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. And then talking about the kingdom of God, Isaiah 66. For I know their works, God says, and their thoughts. And the time is coming, not just to gather them, but to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory. Do you hear the whispers? And then there's this whisper Simeon's directly referring to out of Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, God says to his servant, the Messiah, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. That's good, but it's too light. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. All right, in in other words, it's too small for you to just save the people of Israel. It's not big enough. What you are worthy of is to rescue people from all the nations of the earth. Not just Jews, not just Americans, not just black or white. Everyone. God has come for everyone. Which we got to hear, that's us. With, without these events, we wouldn't be Christians. Right? God loves the diversity of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Move forward, look at the life of Jesus. He did focus his ministry on on the Jewish people, but you see his love for the nations and the way he moves, for example, towards the hated Samaritans, right? He moves towards them. So we're not going around, we're going through. And I'm going to talk to this lady, and you know what comes from that conversation? Revival in Samaria. He moves toward the Roman centurion who's hated, hated by the Jewish people, heals his servant. He moves toward the Syrophoenician woman. Right? It wouldn't leave him alone. You see this theme of his love for the nations. You see the priority on the nations in Jesus when he tells his disciples to after, after the resurrection, what's he say? He says one imperative. He says, go, disciples. Make disciples of all the what? All the nations. He's commissioning his church, Jews and Gentiles, to take the gospel everywhere. So we're not just to come and see people, we're go and tell people. Let me give you one last linchpin, pivotal moment. In the early church, Paul and Barnabas pick up the same Isaiah 49, Luke 2, light to the Gentiles thread. 
right? It, it's in Antioch. This eventually got the gospel to you and me. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Jesus isn't Lord. He's not the Messiah. He's not risen from the dead. You guys are fools, liars. Get out. Don't believe him. Something like that. So what do they do? Do they cower? Do they shrink? No. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, what? I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He picks up on it. Without these events, you and I are not Christians, and we're also called to reach the nations. Listen, th this, this is why we care for the nations who come here. Right? By the grace of God, we're able to um, love on and bless and come alongside some of our Afghan friends who've been um, displaced from their nation, right? from their home. So our call is to live and give the gospel to them, right? To give up time and energy and sleep and money. That's why we've set aside all these things in a team so that we can love and care for the nations. It's why we're called to love all kinds of people, no matter their race or background. God's love for all peoples undercuts ethnocentrism, ethnocentristic pride and, and um, nationalism and, and racism and prejudice. Right? It, it severs the root of that. It's why we want to plant churches, not just locally or regionally, but internationally. That's, wh that's why our partnerships in India and Iran and Turkey and England and other places are so absolutely vital because we want to obey Jesus because he is the light to the nations. Now let me address one, one last group of people um, some of you in this room, um, you're called to go to the nations, like long term, to live there, to give the gospel. For some of you, that might be in like a, a little flicker, right? A, a little ember inside of your soul where you, you can't stop thinking maybe about this nation or about this people group or about this, this call. For some of you, it's been a burning bonfire and it's been years and, and you know it. I just want to say as one of our pastors, we want to breathe on that flame no matter how high or low it is. We want to bless you. We want to say yes because that's the heart of Jesus to go and to make disciples of all nations. Why? Because Jesus Christ is worth it. He's worthy, right? More people than just local or tribal, but all tribes, tongues, and nations worshiping the king, how much more glory does he get because of that? Do you hear that? Do you see it? Do you feel it? It's because he's worshipped and worthy of it. So, Simeon's song, right? First point, God has provided a Savior for all peoples, for all nations. It's beautiful. Second point is the kind of stuff you're just not going to get in Christmas carols. This is a, a Christmas confrontation 
Luke 2, 34. Simeon says this, and he says it to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed. And he says to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Second point, God confronts us, but in order to save us. God does confront us, but it's in order to save us. A um, few questions may, may come to your mind as you look at these couple of verses. One, what's the fall and rising? What's going on there? Um, this sword through Mary's soul, what, what's that about? Um, and then this thoughts being revealed, right? So let's, let's unpack this. If Simeon's song is that Jesus is going to save his people, right? that's a fact. This is the how Jesus saves his people. This is how it happens. Confronts to save. Start with the falling and rising. It's a huge theme of the life of Jesus. Think about what you remember, what you know about Jesus' life. Right? He comes to the outcasts and the rejected, the poor, the marginalized, and he dignifies and he befriends and he honors. He says, I don't I haven't come to call the righteous, but to heal the sick and call to repentance. So there's rising. Then to those in political or religious power or otherwise, he exposes motives of the heart, right? And there's falling. Think of some examples. Disciples, the disciples, um, 12 guys who had just, they'd missed the cut at, at the rabbi school, right? They weren't worthy of that. They were just working jobs. They were working trades. And, uh, and Jesus calls them out and says, follow me. Rising. Right, but the other side, falling. Think about the Pharisees. Right? Pharisees, they were the ruling class. They were really good guys. Seems like Jesus is really harsh with them. Falling. Right? Rising, the lepers, the untouchables, he touched and healed. Children, tax collectors, those treated as useless were invited in. There's rising. But you think about Judas and Pilate and the rich young ruler, there's falling. Right? Jesus loves everyone equally absolutely impartially but he upsets the balance of power in israel jesus does what simeon prophesies the people looked down on are exactly the ones jesus raises up he exposes pride and in that he exposes our pride our pride you might say well didn't jesus like come to bring peace on earth this is awfully harsh this whole jesus confronting Really, Jesus, real peace, real peace only can come through pain. You think about it, um, a surgeon in order to heal has to use a, a knife, a scalpel, or a gardener in order to get things to grow. He has to, he has to prune, doesn't he? Jesus, Jesus brings conflict to the human heart in order to save the ones that will receive him. And Simeon even says that pain's going to come to Mary too. This soul-crushing metaphor of a, of a sword going through her soul. Right? Mary had to come to terms with like her son is a king. Her son is a king who's not cooperating with her ideas, number one. And she was going to outlive her firstborn son. That is a unique, dark, hard agony. 
But even that soul-crushing experience was, was the means of her salvation, wasn't it? Then Simeon prophesies the way the rising and falling would happen so that many thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You see it happen in the ministry of Jesus. The way Jesus confronts is when you get near him, when you get near him, you realize the real thoughts and intentions of your heart. You can do no other. The Bible describes, it, describes him as having eyes like flames of fire. You get near him, you realize oh, my need for God and his goodness simultaneously. It's a hard moment of truth in the mirror, and you have the choice as you see your life maybe in crystal colors the way you haven't seen it before, is to either submit and surrender or resist and run. Jesus is the fork in the road. And what's being revealed is whether a person's heart is willing to be humbled to trust Christ alone for salvation or whether that person's heart is haughty and must be brought low. Here's the reality. Humbling will happen. To everyone within the sound of my voice, hear this. Humbling will happen. It's just a question of when and how. The Bible says every knee, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Not as preacher talk or religious talk, but as trying to describe reality and God as best I can. Um, Come to Jesus. Submit, surrender to him. Stop your running. Because he really is worthy. He really is good. Let me, let me tell you a story of this rising and falling from my own life and a, a friend of mine. In my 30s, I was um, working in the corporate world for several years. And a guy I work with, super smart, super talented, had a bit of a crazy life. Um, he he'd basically had a drug addiction where he'd lost a, a full-ride scholarship. So he's super talented. And at this point in life, though he'd followed God for a stretch of time as a, as a kid, he'd bagged it. At this point, he's just trying to make as much money and have as much fun as he possibly can. And uh, we'd built a friendship, built a relationship over years of time. And uh, God started really revealing the thoughts and intentions of his heart, the reality of his heart and his need for God at a, um, at a Christmas party where he got absolutely blasted drunk said some things inappropriately, and the next morning he was called into HR, and he was gone from a six-figure job. With a wife, with a couple of kids, he's gone. He calls me the next day just totally shaken, falling, falling. He starts hanging around our church, and asking lots of questions in a community group, just starts, you know, asking questions, walking through things, and about six, eight months later, he stands up at the end of a a men's retreat that we're hosting, and um, and he says this, and I'll never forget it. He says, uh, y'all, over and over and over in my life, God had saved me 
And I kept living life, flipping him off in my heart. And today, I let him in. And the room just erupted, just exploded with joy of new life, of a new creature rising. Shocking beauty. Glory to God in the highest. Simeon's, uh, Simeon's prophecy, the, the gospel, is that the heart, thoughts of many hearts would be revealed, and it's been happening like in billions of people for the last 2,000 years. People from all kinds of nationalities and backgrounds and colors and languages and family issues, and no one is exempted Right, from the grace of God. Everyone is invited. Everyone. But in those moments of truth, Him confronting us to save us, we, we realize the debt we have towards God. A debt towards God, what's that mean? Well, if everything we've ever thought, you know, or our motives, those things we've done and not gotten caught for, Right? If everything was put on a table in, in the light from our life, right? and everyone knew about it and God himself, we would feel two things. We'd feel guilty and we'd feel embarrassed. Right? We know deep down we need a Savior, that that sin deserves penalty. It deserves justice. And that is the sin that Jesus paid the penalty for not only that, he actually took that sin on his body and took the just wrath of God for that sin, but he didn't stay dead, right? The truth is he rose again from that, from that grave, validating his claim to be God, and not only that claim, but his claim on your life as your creator. It's not imaginary, it's real. And then in that realizing, realizing God's real He's come near. Christmas is happening to you. God loves you just as you are. When a person responds with humility, I just simply saying, you're God, I'm not. I need you. Forgive me. That's called repentance and faith. God does what only God can do, and that raises a heart from the dead to make it alive again. Right? So, Simple message, simple points. God's provided a Savior for all the nations. So how ought we to respond? Well, we ought to respond in worship, in honor, right? And in joy and delight that He is who He is. And we ought to go. We ought to go. Live and give the gospel. And then if you're in a place as a Christian right here, right now, where you're dealing with the conflict, the confrontation in your heart, God's coming after you. You can feel it. Hey, humble yourself and receive from the, that he's actually repositioning you for more good if you trust him. All right? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of God, you are worthy. You're worthy of the praise and the honor, the glory, the blessing, and the riches of all the nations. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
your fame and your renown are the desire of our hearts. May you be honored and glorified in and through Frontline Church in this city, this state, in this nation, and to the nations, not just in 2022, but for as long, Jesus, as you would see fit to have us be a church with a lampstand of your presence. We glorify you. We honor you. We worship you as king, rightful king, blessed king, with right now angels and elders and creatures who cannot stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we consecrate this year to you. We consecrate our lives to you again. Say, would you have your glory? Would you have your way? Would you advance your kingdom? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.